Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series, Church Talk. In this message, we look at the word repentance, yet this is not something we look forward to, but in reality, this is one of the most free and greatest gifts God gives us. We should celebrate the fact that God allows us to repent. Listen as Brandon takes a different spin on a common church word. Good morning. How's everybody today? Good? Wet? Beautiful day outside. Good day to be in church. Everybody awake? Ready to go? That, uh, that last song we did was pretty incredible, wasn't it? Revelation song? Absolutely incredible. Got kind of loud, made me feel like I was already in heaven. Good stuff, man. It's going to be awesome when we're around the throne of God, man. Angels singing. If you don't like it loud in here, you're not going to like heaven because it's going to be loud. It's going to be crunk. Uh, we're going to have a good time. Uh, was that the right word? I don't know. I'm old, okay? Um, but we're glad you're here. Uh, real quick, just want to tell you again, at 4 o'clock, we're, we're baptizing... I don't know if it's going to be raining or not, but we're going to find some. We might just put a tub of water up here. Or we'll stick your head in a bucket. We'll do something. But we're, we're doing baptisms at 4 o'clock. And, and so if uh, you've, you've never been baptized, you've given your life to Christ, you want to make him your Lord and Savior uh, and follow him, come on and be baptized, man. Make that public profession of faith. Could, today could be the day that your life changes forever, right? Don't take this time lightly. This may be the day that your life is changed forever. And so uh, I pray that that happens for some of you today. Um, also, the chili cook-off is going to be good. I hope you'll come out and be a part of that too, and, and we'll have a celebration October 10th at 5 o'clock. We're going back into the church talk series today. Um, second week, and we're looking at some words that we throw around church a lot, but that we don't often know what they mean. Anybody familiar, you know, you'll hear preachers like say, you know, sanctification through the justification of the, you know, bivocation. I don't know. It's all kind of crazy words um, that we throw around church and we don't really sometimes know what they mean. So we're kind of looking at some of these words. Today, um, I know you'll be excited about this word because when you hear it, it just brings joy to your life. Um, But the word is repentance. Okay. Um, Everybody, I know you got excited. You're like, great. Somebody just elbowed their their wife and was like, I told you we shouldn't have come. But... (laughs) But you're here and it's going to be good because I hope we can look at repentance in a little bit different way today, in a way that maybe changes um, how we view not only uh, the word, but how we also view God um, and what he's given us the chance to do. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter two. We're going to begin here and uh, I'm going to read this, this scripture in, in verse four, and then we're jumping in. Romans two, four. have to give everybody time to find her or I get in trouble. Somebody will come get me. All right, Romans 2, 4. It says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much for your love and your mercy. God, I pray that today you would reveal your heart to us, and God, that we would just simply have ears to hear what the Spirit says to us today. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Quick question. How many of you today, this is a show of hands, this is class participation. How many of you would say today that, that the world has sunk to new um, depths as, as far as our culture goes, as far as the way things go on, the things that we hear on the news, the things we see, the things we hear, um, that our, our, our world has sunk to a new low, um, morally, spiritually, everything. Who would, who would agree with that? That we saw. It, see, I, I was reminded of that this week. Um, I was at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, I was watching Sports Center with my oldest son, Dake, who's seven. 
um, and we're, we were sitting there watching Sports Center. Um, they were talking about football. We were talking about football. He's playing flag football right now. And um, so we're, we're, we're looking at, uh, at Sports Center, and then it goes to a commercial. And how many of you, I know if you're under the age of like 24, and now it's really like everybody in the world, but how many of you have seen um, the, the Facebook movie? coming out, the social network, you've seen it advertised, right? Everybody's excited, like, yes, you know, because I know Facebook plays like a huge role in your life. Um, and so this advertisement came on, and I have not seen this particular one. I saw it once. It's the only time I've seen it. But it comes on, and all of a sudden, it was just half-naked women all over the screen. Has anybody seen this particular one where it's showing like all these? And then this girl comes on the screen and says the entire college experience is defined by whether or not you're having sex. And I'm sitting there with my seven-year-old. I'm like, give me the remote. And we're diving. I'm diving for the remote, trying to turn it, trying to get it off of that channel. And and, um, then anybody know who Brenda Song is? Anybody know? Yeah. Some people like anybody know who London Tipton is? That's her, right? That's Zach and Cody. And, and so, and those of you who have, have children, um, you've grown to love Disney. Like after our kids have been in bed for a couple of hours, Susan and I are still in there watching the Disney channel. Um, like Sweet Life, that's like the highlight of my night is when Sweet Life on deck comes. <laughs> I know that's, like, that's really sad and probably scary, but it is true. Um, so we watch that a lot. Well, the next scene in this, this um, movie trailer shows um, Brenda Song, London Tipton, making out like with this guy. I mean, just going at it, and I'm like, oh, and we're still, I'm still scrambling for the remote control, trying to find it, trying to turn the channel, but the thought hit me. My son last night just watched this chick on Zach and Cody, and now he's seeing her on here. I'm like, what in the world's going on, man? I mean, this is just, I'm, I'm thinking about the impression it's got on my son, and I'm kind of covering his eyes, trying to find the remote, trying to get the TV changed, and I was just thinking about, man, how, where our world has gotten to, you know, and uh and, and it just began to bother me. But then in my quiet time that day, if you, have, you can look over in Mark chapter 7. In my quiet time, as I was reading through, back through the gospel of Mark, I got to chapter 7. And I read this. And it kind of made me change the way I look at things. Mark 7 verse 20. It says, this is Jesus. It says, he went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. I want to read one more scripture to you. This is, you can stay where you are, but I want to read this. Um, this is what Paul said in the book of Romans. He said, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. Listen to this. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And it goes on. I read that this week, and I was like, wow. I realized, listen, we're no worse than they were then. The bottom line is people have always been messed up, right? We have always been messed up. This is not a new thing. All this stuff that we're seeing on TV, all the stuff that's going on around us, it's been going on for thousands of years. Now, that's not to make us feel better, okay? I mean, I'm not saying, well, they've been doing it. Let's just keep doing it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this word, this, this Bible, and these scriptures we're looking at today are just as applicable today as they were then. Jesus wasn't speaking to a culture that we can't relate to. He was speaking to people who were dealing with a lot of the same influences and things going on around them that we are today. 
And what amazes me is this. Have you ever had something like, you? it was so awesome, but it was so cool, but you really didn't know why somebody did it? Like a couple of Christmases ago, guys, you'll really get this, girls, maybe you will. Um, a couple of Christmases ago, we were at my mom and dad's on Christmas Eve. We always exchanged gifts. And I got one that was really heavy. Who likes heavy gifts, man? I love heavy because I'm like, there's got to be something good in here. And so I opened up the, the present. And it was a, um, a TV mounting kit to put like on a wall. I was kind of disappointed. I'm like, great. I don't have a TV to mount. So what good is this? I was like, what am I going to do with this thing? And so um, then I was like, okay, cool. And you know how you, you get like the Old Spice combo kit and you have to act like you're excited about it sometimes? <laughs> well, I had, a, I had an uncle who, who used to always give me the Old Spice. I was like 10. And I got Old Spice every Christmas. And, but you always were like, man, thanks. That's all I really wanted. And so I kind of had to pull that. I was like, thanks, man. This is awesome. Thank you. And then they were like, well, there's one more present. And so my dad gets up and he goes back there and he comes out with like this 42 inch flat screen television. I was like, oh. Oh. I mean, seriously, I felt like I needed to get up and get up and give an acceptance speech. I wanted to get up and be like, I want to thank my mom and dad who made all this possible. Jesus Christ and all my sponsors. Thank you. And I felt like I needed to do something like that because I was so blown away and, and it just blew me away. Well, when I was thinking about the scriptures and I was thinking about Jesus and I was thinking about how the times haven't changed in 2000 years and people have always been jacked up. People have always been messed up. People have always needed a savior. And I thought about the fact that that's the culture Jesus came into. He came into our culture. He came into one just like ours and he came in and the Bible says that he came preaching the good news. Man, does that not blow you that God would come into that? See, if I were God, that wouldn't have happened. I would have just killed all of you. I'd have just been like, man, this is way far gone. This is, I'd have just killed everybody. Spared none. Start over. But then, but then God, he sends his son. He sends Jesus to come into this culture that is all kind of messed up. And he comes and it says he gave him because he loves us. How awesome is that? And it says he came preaching the good news. But listen to what Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15 says the good news is. It says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. Jesus is coming with the good news. And, and, and you know, everybody's like, believe the good news. And then everybody's like, what is it? What is it? And he's like, repent. And everybody's like, oh, that ain't what they wanted to hear. But when I began to read this and think about this and, and, and that God came into our, our setting just like what we're in today, I began to realize that repentance is a good thing. Repentance is not negative. We think about repentance and we would lock repentance in with like going to the dentist or, or going and, and um, you know, something that's just, just hard for us that we don't want to do, that we don't like. You know, like when we were kids, we had to eat our green beans. That's what we would lop in there with repentance. It's something like that. But repentance is a good thing. Because see, God didn't have to give us an opportunity, did he? Man, he didn't have to. It's good news. God, see, Romans 2, 4 says it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And see, the goodness of God is that he left room for repentance because he could have just killed all of us. He could have let his wrath fall on us, which we deserve. Anybody in here that would say you've been such a perfect person that you could stand before a holy God and not deserve to get smoked? No. 
Every one of us deserve it. But he says, I'm going to give you opportunity to repent. I'll give you opportunity to come back to me. We need to begin to see this as a good thing, man. This is the good news that we get to come back to God. How awesome is that? That is good. Thank you. Yes, it's good stuff. Now listen to this. I'm going to give you a good definition. This is kind of a definition. I took bits and pieces um, and, and, and just put different things together. But I want to give you a definition of what I believe repentance is. I believe this, that repentance is man's positive response or his yes to God's offer of reconciliation. It encompasses a change of disposition, which includes your thinking, actions, and tendencies. So repentance is man's positive response or yes to God's offer of reconciliation, which encompasses a change of disposition, which includes your thinking, actions, and your tendencies. See, listen, it is God reaching down his hand. It is God coming to the the worst of the worst and saying, you have an opportunity to come back to me. It is God coming in and, and, and rearranging our lives so much that we begin to think differently. We begin to look at life differently and we begin to live out of a place that's different and it changes our actions. In fact, it changes our tendency because this is what happens. You and I, apart from God, are bent towards sin. Who would agree with that? That it doesn't take long to find out that, that if I had my choice, I'd go my own way because remember last week we defined sin and it was suppressing the truth and going our own way. It's turning our back on God. You know, when we look at repentance, it's the anti-sin. It's the opportunity to be bent towards God. It's the opportunity that when, uh, when the chance comes, we choose God. We choose God's way. It's the opportunity to have our thinking changed. It really is the anti-sin. Instead of turning away from God, we turn to God and we come to God. And now listen, that is a God that I want to serve. Is a God who doesn't have to let me come to him and yet he chooses to. That's an awesome God. We, we should view repentance as coming to God and it should be a good thing. We ought to get excited about that. We ought to be, we ought to be thankful that we get to serve. And see, what blows me away, what, what really confuses me about things is how we can look at that opportunity and go, no thanks. How we can have the God who created everything around us, the God who created everything that we can see, the God who created all the complexities of our body down to the hairs on our head and also created the stars in the universe and told them where to stay and we can have an opportunity to come to him and look at him and go, nah, I'd rather watch the Braves. Come on, that's crazy. That's ludicrous. How deceived do we have to be to turn down that opportunity? But we do it all the time, don't we? We do it all the time. We look God in the face and we literally just kind of stick up our middle finger and go, hey, I'm going my own way. I don't need you. And so I want to look at today, I want to look at some, some things um, and some reasons I believe that we don't take opportunity to repent and come back to God. Some reasons that we tend to turn up our nose at God and, and not come to him. Look at Luke chapter 15. This is a very, 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 very popular parable. But I want us to look at it today and and maybe look at it in a little bit different light. The first thing I want to say, we're going to read verses 11 through 31. We're going to go through those and see what God shows us in these scriptures. But the first thing I want to say is I believe with all my heart that this parable has been mislabeled. What is this parable typically typically called? The parable of the prodigal. If you've been in church, everybody's heard the preaching on the parable. But see, I think that's totally off base. Because this parable is really a parable of a loving and compassionate father who represents God. The only consistency in this parable is the love of God. 
for two sons that are arrogant and ignorant and have turned their back on him. And so we begin to look at this in a different way. We're just going to read this and look at some of the reasons that maybe we don't come back to God. Maybe we don't really turn our lives over to him and trust in him. Listen, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, and listen to this, we're going to come back to this later. Father, give me my share of the state. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Listen, the first reason I believe that we don't come back to God, that we don't repent and come to God, that we don't exercise this awesome opportunity that God's given us is because we believe that we can do more with all that God has given us than he can. Mentally, we don't say that, do we? But in our actions, we do. Mentally, we, we don't think that, that, that we can do more than, than what God's, but every day we live like it. And we think that we can do more with what God's given than he can. And if you think that, like, you hear the saying, there, he's a self-made man, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. Everything you have, everything that anybody around you has is because God gave it to you. And we look at it and we think that we could possibly do better with it than God could. It's why so many people don't want to tithe. It's why, it's why we don't want to, we'll, we'll, we'll give God anything, but don't touch my wallet. If you touch my wallet, we're going to have issues, right? And so we believe that we can do more with 100% than God can do with 90. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, we do. We think that with everything that God's given us, God, don't touch my career. Don't tell me what to do because we think that, that with what God's given us, the gifts and abilities that he's given us, we can do more with those than what he can do. The problem boils down to this. We want to control our own life. Anybody have an issue with control? Yes. My goodness. It'll keep you up at night. You're trying to go through every scenario of what you could do, how you could work it out. And God's going, if you'll just shut up and go to sleep, I'll take care of this. But we fight and we fight and we fight. And we fight. I remember when I was in school, um, probably first grade, second grade, something like that. And there was this little boy in our class. And, and one day our teacher started just running over to him and, and kind of freaking out. And I looked over and all I could see was like blood all over his hands. Well, what had happened is, is that somehow he had gotten a hold of a razor blade. And he grabbed that razor blade. And it gets, every time he would grab it, it would cut him. And so his hands were literally just cut up. And, and the teacher ran over, and I'm over there. I'm like, just drop the blade, you know? He's just bleeding. And, and, but sometimes we're the same way. Every time we try to put our hands on our life, every time we try to control it, how many of you have figured out it does not work well? Does your life not go better when you take your hands off and let God have the steering wheel? But then as soon as things get better, what do we do? We grab it back. I mean, come on. And, and tell me this is not a gracious and good God that lets his children make their own choices, choose their own way, screw everything up, and then go, hey, God, can you help me out? Because we do it all the time. My children do it, man. I about blew a gasket last night. I'm just going to be honest with you. Talking about repentance. I had to repent this morning. My kids, I mean, they, they broke like three, four things yesterday, which I call him Captain Destructo because he's just like a bull in a china shop where he go. And then we go to the Georgia Southern football game, which give it up for the Eagles. That was an awesome game last night. Um, we went to the Georgia Southern game, and on the way out the door, Jackson said, hey, can I get some of those cheese and crackers? He, he loves those little packets with like the little cheese in it and the little crackers and ham and things. And he can get, he, so we're like, yeah, get one. Well, he goes and gets one. We come home from the game several hours later. Dake walks up the steps, and he's like, mama, the refrigerator door's open. I walk in there. I'm like, 
I mean, I was about to blow up. And, and, uh, and everything in there had gotten warm. I mean, I know our, uh, our electric bill is going to be like $954 this month. I mean, it's going to be huge. And, and it's just running for hours, right? And, and, and I was like, I just wanted to go nuts. And I had to go back and apologize to him. I, I had to go to him later and like grab him and say, I love you no matter what daddy might say, you know, <laughs> you drive me nuts, but I love you anyway. And, and I had to go to him. But, but the, the thing of it is, if you got children, you understand this. They make mess after mess. They screw it all up all the time. But what do we do? We go clean it up, right? We go help him. You know, I'll take take fishing, and, 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 and really, it should not be called fishing when I go with him. It should be, like, called untangling, because that's all we do, and, or getting lures out of trees. That's, it's, it's like a game. It's like he gets it stuck. I see if I, I'm skilled enough to get it out of the tree. But, but you know what? When he says, Daddy, I got, a, I got a mess. Let me have it, son, you know? God does that for us all the time. He's so gracious to us that when we screw it up, he comes back and goes, I'll help you. That is a good God, man. I'm telling you, that is a good God who will, let, who, who, will, who will see us make a mess of our lives and then still step in and clean it up. And that's what God says. He's like, listen, let me have the controls. And some of us today really need to repent because we've been trying to control our whole life. And in that, taking those controls, we've turned and walked away. And what we really need to do is let go and come back to God and say, God, have, my, have it. You can have it. You can have this, God. It goes on, verse 14. It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. The second one is this, that we think we can get away with it. Have you ever done something you thought, I got away with it? See, this, this kid, when he, when he took all the stuff that his daddy had given him, and he went off, he, he thought, I can do this. I'm not, this, I, I know I probably didn't do the right thing. I know that, that I probably am tiptoeing on the line here, but I think I can make this work. I think I can get away with it. There was a time when I was in the seventh grade. I, um, I had, I, who hates math? Anybody hate math? I hate math. God, math is of the devil. There's no doubt. Whoever came up with calculus and algebra should be shot. Um, but I hated math, man. I hated it. And, and if you love math, we will pray for you today. I promise we will pray for you. Um, but math was just not my favorite thing. I hated it. I mean, with a passion. So I had a buddy who was pretty good at math. His name was Scott. And um, he was in my math class. So one day we're doing homework. And uh, he happened to be at my house. And he happened to be done with his math homework. And so I thought, well, I'm going to get a good grade on this one. I took his paper. I wrote down all of his answers. But you know the problem is when you're multiplying like six-digit numbers and you accidentally end up with the same wrong answer, it's pretty suspicious. You know, it's like you multiply 2,594 times 252 and you end up with the same wrong answer. That don't happen by accident, right? And so we go to class. We turn them in. I'm like, man, I got away with this. It's good. I, no problems. I'm going to get a good grade. My buddy's smart. And so a couple of days go by. Miss, uh, I'm not going to tell her name, but she comes in and she says, will you step out in the hall with me? And she gets me and Scott, and I'm like, uh-oh. I'm thinking, what, what is it? And it hit me. I was like, math homework, man. Oh, God. And so she steps out there, and she's like, holds up the papers. Y'all want to explain this to me? No, ma'am. <laughs> I don't. She said, she looked at me, and she said, Brandon, did y'all cheat on this homework? I'm sticking in my guns, man. I'm like, 
I'm going down. If I'm going down, I'm going down in a, a blaze of glory, man. I'm, I, I was like, so I, I said, no, ma'am, I didn't cheat. I don't know if he was looking at my paper or not, but I didn't cheat. <laughs> and uh, really, I just said, no, ma'am, I didn't cheat. And so I'm like, we can do this, man. Hold tight. Just hold tight. We can do this. We can make it. And she looks at Scott and she goes, Scott, did y'all cheat? And he said, yes, ma'am. Oh. I was wanting to kill him. I wanted to just hit him. And so I'm like, what are you doing, man? What you? And so, I mean, just threw me under the bus, you know, and, and I was looking at him. I was like, are you Abraham Lincoln? I mean, what's wrong with you? Because he's like, I can't lie, man. I'm like, yes, you can. Say it with me. I did not cheat. I did not cheat. You can do this. But I swear, man, I thought we got away with it, and, and, and we didn't. I mean, we got caught, and see, the truth of it is, sometimes we think we can live our life our own way, but eventually, it's going to surface. Eventually, it's going to show. The Bible even tells us that some sin, is a, that the consequences are apparent right now, but some sin, it takes time for it to show. And we think we can get away with it. But listen to me, we can't. And for those of us who are here today who are walking one direction that you know you don't need to go, you're walking away from God. And there's things that you know you need to get right with Him so that you can walk in His path and in His plan. We need to make that choice today. It is a good God who gives us opportunity to turn and come back to Him. Luke 15, 15. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed his fields to feed pigs. See, here's the deal with this one. We still haven't hit bottom yet. Listen, for some of us, we're still still sinking. And we still think that that maybe, maybe uh, I can make it. But we just haven't hit bottom. Listen to 16. It says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. See, here's the thing. It sometimes takes us hitting bottom to recognize that we need a Savior. I mean, I've, I've been there myself. I understand that, right? That we get to a point. The problem is, for some people, bottom is above death or below death. You see what I'm saying? It, it, for you to hit bottom, death comes first. People in recovery have seen this time and time again. You wait on people to hit bottom so they realize they need to turn their life around. But sometimes bottom is death. And and we need to realize too, people, that if we're, maybe we don't physically die, but if you're apart from God, you're dead. If you're apart from God, you can't experience life. If you're walking away from Jesus, there's no way to live live life. You're a walking dead man. That's what the Bible says, is is that you're dead in trespasses. I'm dead. If I'm not in God, I'm dead in my trespasses, in my sin. And yet God comes and he offers life. Listen, it's yesterday. I'm out. We were at our hunting club. And, you know, every year you have to go out and limb the roads. And so I've got a bush axe and I'm just, you know, cutting down trees. Well, I hit a bush and turn to walk away. And this yellow jacket comes out and he's like, you know, he's just like the yellow jacket from Hades, man. And he comes flying in and he lands on my finger. That's why I don't have my wedding ring on, by the way. Okay. I was thinking like Susan is pregnant. And so her hands are swollen. I don't think she's wearing her rings. Then yesterday I get stung by a bee. I had to take mine off because my hands swell up so much. And I'm like, great. What are the rumors going to be now? Neither one of us wearing rings. But this bee comes and it stings me. And, it, and, and you know, and, and it didn't feel good, but it didn't hurt that bad. But my natural reflex was just to tense up my hand. I just kind of went like that. And when I did, his stinger stuck in my skin. I think it like tightened up around it. So it just like jerked 
like half of his body off. It was kind of crazy looking. But it jerked off. But you know what that bee did? Is he kept coming around my head and he's flying around and I'm kind of trying to kill him. And he kept trying to sting me. But guess what? He couldn't. He had no stinger. So then I'm like, yes, yeah, sucker. I got you. I got you. And so he could fly around and he could do all this stuff. But see, that's what the Bible says that Jesus did to the sting of death. It is no more. See, Satan stuck his stinger in Jesus, who didn't deserve the sting of death. He stuck it in him, and Jesus took it away for us. That we could, man, y'all ought to get excited about that. Good gosh almighty. He took the sting of death away from you. You don't have to have it. Golly. I'm trying. But seriously, he took it away. We no longer have to experience death. He has given us life. We need to turn to it. Some of us still haven't hit bottom. See, when I was uh, little, we'd go to this place called Blue Springs. I'd go with a buddy of mine. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's one of these natural springs. And it is freezing, man. It's like 100 degrees outside. That water is freezing cold. And out in the middle of it, there was this place where the spring came up. And the thing we'd always do is go out there and see how far down into the spring. Well, they all did. I was always afraid I'd get down in there and not find my way back out. So I didn't do it as much. But they would try to swim down in there and try to find the bottom. And see, the truth of it was, uh, there was a bottom there. We just couldn't find it. We just never realized it. Some of us need to realize that, man, we're at a place in our lives where we need to come up. We're at a place in our lives where we need to come up for air and begin to experience life. And Jesus wants to give us life so bad, so badly. I went to the Georgia Southern game, as I said, and I'm sitting there last night and I asked my brother-in-law, I was like, how many people do you think is over there? And he said, well, probably half of 20,000. It must be nine or 10,000 people. And I sat there and it kind of broke my heart because I'm looking at, at Jesus and I'm looking at God and I'm watching people who are so pumped up about a pigskin with air in it. I mean, seriously, it's a pigskin with air, right? And they're going nuts. And I'm like, how many of those people are gonna be going nuts for Jesus tomorrow morning? And we would get so excited over a bunch of grown men jumping all over each other in pants that are too tight, <laughs> chasing a pigskin filled up with air, and we can't get excited about the God of the universe that gave his only son to deliver us from sin and death, to bring us out of the mire and the muck and the death of life and to give us fresh air. We need to come up for air, people, and suck in a little bit of Jesus so that Jesus can come out. Man, listen, this is God. This is God's heart for you, that you would come into a place of being filled with the love, with the life of Jesus Christ. Think about the, this place where this kid is. Here's this little Jewish boy, right? He's wandered away from home. The Bible says that he was in a pig pen working for a citizen in a far country, not only touching pigs, but actually wanting to eat what the pigs were eating. Does anybody see some complications with a Jewish boy being in a pig pen? Pigs are unclean, man, to Jewish, but they were unclean. And see, the thing that we don't realize is if we walk so far on our own way, we will get to a point where we do things that we never thought we would do. It'll take us to depths we never thought we would go. Not only was he touching pigs, he wanted to eat their food. Not just to eat a pig, but if I could just eat the food that the pigs are eating. Have you ever seen a pig eat? It ain't pretty. 
It's nasty, man. I have never walked by a hog pen and gone, I wish I could have some of that. <laughs> that is low. This brother was low now. I'm telling you, he was low. And when we go our own way away from the Father, we end up in places we never thought we'd be. And some of you are there right now. I just know in a room this, this size, there are some people in here right now who are in places you never thought you'd go. You have looked at things, done things, been with things that you never thought you would do. You have put things in your body. You have done things that you never thought you would possibly do. And it's just sheer numbers. I don't have to be a prophet. It's not like, thus says the Lord, somebody here is having sex outside of marriage. I don't have to. Listen, somebody is. I don't have to do that. I know. And see, the good thing is we're all in the same boat. And Jesus offers us opportunity to come back. Come on now. Jesus offers us a chance to come back to him. And I feel kind of Pentecostal today. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. See, some of us have misunderstood repentance. Some of us don't understand it. See, this is the thing that most of us do in church because this is what we were taught in church is that most of the time we come and we'll hear a message and somebody will say something and the Spirit of God will prick our conscience. We will be convicted of this and we'll end up in a place where we are in sorrow. And sometimes we go to a place of godly sorrow. Sometimes we go to a place where it is, it is um, ungodly sorrow, where we fall into condemnation. But either way, what we typically do in church is we will come to the altar or we will sit in our seat or we will just have our our own little prayer time right there and we ask God for forgiveness but why do we do that because we feel guilty and what I was seeing this week as I was studying this is guilt does not lead you it in and of itself can't lead you to repentance it can lead you to penitence it can lead you to sorrow it can lead you to a place where you want God to put a band-aid on your conscience but what repentance actually is, is when we not only feel conviction, but our eyes are also opened so that we can see that God's way is the best way. Because so many times we just get in this cycle where we do something, we feel guilty, we ask God to forgive us, but there's no change of mind, there's no change of action, there's no change of tendency. So what do we do? We do it again. And then we come back to the altar and we say, I'm sorry, God, forgive me. And we do it. And it's a cycle that continues to go on and on and on and on and on. Why? Because we've never had a change of mind. We've never had a change of heart. It is simply us coming to a place where we want to feel better about me. But repentance happens when we see that God's way is the right way. And he, he says, listen, and when you recognize this, when you recognize this, I'll be there. April 1st, 2000, um, the day I finally came to my senses. I remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, I do, I do, I really, I don't know what the significance of it being on April Fool's Day is. But it was the day I came to my senses. And, and I remember I was sitting there. I had gone to the altar because I had that godly or that, that, that conviction, that guilt. And I had gone to the altar and I had, had, uh, had knelt and I had said, God, forgive me. But then we come in and this guy starts talking. And he starts telling me everything that I've done wrong. Anybody like to have that? Man, we got a defense mechanism like nothing I've ever seen, man. Somebody says, well, what about it? Don't even start talking to me about that because you know you, you know. I didn't even know this guy. He starts telling me everything that I'm doing wrong. He's up there preaching, preaching his guts out. And, and, and I'm starting to get angry. And what I wanted to do really was that fight or flight mechanism. I wanted to either punch him in the face or get up and leave. 
I found out he was a former hog farmer who'd gone into the ministry, and I'm glad I did not punch him in the face because he would have proceeded to beat the snot out of me. And so a little bit of God's grace in that. I did not try to fight. And then I decided, well, I'm just going to leave. And I don't know how God speaks to you, but he speaks to me pretty clear, like, like in firm. And, and I hear in my, in, my, in my heart, I just hear, why don't you shut up and listen to him? Why don't you shut up and listen to him? And I'm sitting there and I realized at that moment, it was as though a light went off. It was as though I had finally come to my senses and I realized if I will turn around and go a different direction, God is right there waiting on me. He's right there. He hadn't, I mean, and this is what this says. If you go on and read it, it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and runs to him, puts his arm around him and kisses him. Do you know how he must have smelled? He'd been in the pig pen. He had been, been slopping around with pigs. And here comes a representative of God the Father. This daddy comes and grabs this boy around the shoulders and kisses him and gives him a ring for his finger, shoes on his feet, which is representative of the fact that he was saying, you're still my child. That is awesome. When we, we've gone our own way, we've gone way out of the loop. And then God comes back and says, you're still my child. I love you. Even though you are a mess, I love you. Man, and when you realize that, it changes your life. I want to tell you, there's people, and maybe, maybe all of us today need to come to our senses and realize that kind of love, the kind of love that God has for us that is life-changing. You know, after that, there have been a lot of times when I've chosen to go my own way. There's been a lot of times when I've chosen that, that this over here looks a lot better than what God's offering me right now. And, but you know what? When I'd start going that way, because of that experience I had with God, because God became so real, because I came to my senses and I recognized that, that God that God's way is better than my way. I, I don't want to go to the right. I don't want to go to the left. I, even when I mess up, I want to come back to the center. Is that making me sound? No, that is the power of Jesus's love and the power of the Holy Spirit when it brings the revelation of who God is. And we come to our senses and we return to him. That is the power of God. Luke 15, 20 goes on. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. He goes on and says, uh, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother was filled with joy and went into the party. And he began to feast with the father and the younger son because he was reconciled to his brother. It don't say that. Y'all are like, what translation is he reading? See, some, some guy in here just elbowed their wife and are like, I told you this ain't the right church for us. I told you something was wrong, Louise. No, it says this. It says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. See, after you deal with the problem, you think, well, everything ought to be hunky-dory, right? Everything ought to be good. But no, it's not. I mean, this is like an episode of Days of Our Lives, and y'all think the Bible's boring. This thing's multi-layered. And so here's the brother. You know, the father is thinking, man, I finally get my son back, and now I've got to deal with this guy. I mean, how patient is God with us, inviting us? He says he was pleading with him to come in. But see, there's a whole other side of this thing. And this is another reason that I I believe we don't come back to God, that we've gone our own way. But it's out of verse 28. Here's the older brother. He's getting angry. God goes and pleads with him. And I believe that this is the case, that, that we have been on the farm. We have been with the Father. Maybe we've been in the house of God, but we've never been to the feast. We, we have, have been around church all our lives. We grew up in church. We know all the songs. We even know when to raise our hands and when to put them down. We know all the right things to say. We've had the worst, worst week of our life. Everything's falling apart. We walk into church and we shake somebody's hand. They say, how are you all? Brother, I am wonderful. How art thou? <laughs> it's the only place we speak King James. How art thou, sister in Christ? Thy will be done, Lord. You know, I mean, it's like, where, why? I don't know, but we come in the church doors and it's like, and we turn into something like the King James Bible. But we, we've been in church all of our lives and yet we've never feasted on what God has for us. See, there's, there, I, would, I would dare to say because we're in the Bible Belt, because we're in the South, there are more people that fall into this category than the one who just outright ran from God. The problem with us today, guys, is, is that we've been in church just enough to have a false sense of security. And maybe some of it, we've, we've been in church all of our lives and we've never repented because we've never had a change of mind. And we've never come back to God. We have never been in a place where we actually looked at our life and said, I'm in the wrong spot. I need to go a different direction. We just kept coming back and back, trying to patch something that only God can patch, trying to heal a conscience or heal a past that only God can heal. And we need to realize that, that, that God has more for us. God has a feast for us. We don't have to wait till we get to eternity to enjoy the blessing of God. And God, listen, some of you need to hear, God don't just live in your wallet, Right? He wants to bless you in other ways. He wants to fill your life with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. He wants to overflow your life so that even in the midst of bad circumstances, when things aren't going exactly the way you want, you draw out of a well that doesn't run dry. That's what God wants for us now. But see, we can't get it if we're just playing a game. We can't get it. See, listen, some of the meanest people in the world are Christians, church people. There are, there are too many Christians that walk around, they look like they just sucked a lemon. Right? Don't play that music so loud. You know, some, you walk in and you sit down. One time we were at an Atlanta Braves game, and you know how when the Braves are either up big or, or they're um, getting really killed, people will just start leaving? Well, everybody started leaving. So me and my buddy were like, we're going behind the home plate. We're going to get down there where people can see us on TV, you know, down there. And so we're going down there, and we're walking down, and we get to the bottom, and as soon as my butt touched the seat, I felt somebody tap me on the shoulder. I looked up. It was this big usher. He's like, son, let me see your ticket. I was like, you know what? I left it up there. I, you know, he grabs us. He makes us leave. But I've been in churches before. If you sit in the wrong seat, you got ejected. 
It was like, it's a, sir, you're in my seat. And, and, and come on now, we need to have an experience with God that changes our heart so that we want somebody in our seat. When you walk into a crowded church, you ought to go, praise God. God must be doing something here. We have people all the time that come to our church, and they look at her like, well, there's too many college students in there for me. I'm like, how can you walk into a church with a room full of college students and adults, and, and you look at it and go, God must not be in this place. Because I can tell you this, and some of y'all know this, you weren't doing what they're doing when you were in college. I guarantee you, I, wasn't, I wouldn't get up on Sunday morning and go, I didn't feel, my head felt like it was this big. And we walk into a room full of young people that want to serve God, who are at least coming to, to, to give God an opportunity, maybe their friend, invite whatever it is, and we go, well, God can't be in this place. That's selfish. That's real selfish. Verse 29. It says, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Another one is that we've, we've been in church so long, we've played the religious game, we, we just no longer have a heart for God. You know what, too many churches, and, and I pray to God that he never allows us to settle for anything. That we never get to a point where we say, this is good enough. But we've been in church, churches so long, and so many places have become museums instead of churches. It's a museum to what God did one time. It's a museum to, to a group of people who had a vision at some point, and then all of a sudden, they, they get to a place where we're okay now. We got the church van or the church bus, or we got the building we want, or we, we got all the committees in place. We got the children's ministry, and we come to a place where we just settle. And for some of us, we've gotten to a place in, in our own personal lives where, where we haven't had an experience with God for so long that, that we're dying. And church is dead. And we don't look forward to going to church. We just do it because we, we feel guilty, because, because we feel like it's the thing we've got to do. And see, it says right here, this, young, this older brother says, I've been slaving for you. See, the cool thing about the word that right there that's translated slaving could actually mean a good thing or a bad thing. NIV translates it slaving. I believe in the context of the, the, the message right here, I believe it would be translated slaving. But it's kind of up to us, isn't it? See, too many people today in church are working for their salvation instead of working out of their salvation. It's a big difference. That's a big difference. When you are coming to church because you've got to, because you think that's going to get you into heaven, versus living for God because you realize that your joy is in the fact that you deserve to be dead, that I deserve to be dead, that I deserve the wrath of God, and yet he's brought life. Man, that's a total different outlook, isn't it? It changes the entire way you look at things. And we need to be thinking about that. Are we living, working for our salvation or working out of our salvation? I don't know about you guys. If you've got young children, you can relate to this. But when we get done eating at my house, it looks like somebody just blew up the Ryan's buffet underneath our table. I mean, it, it's a mess, you know. And, and there's nothing worse than when the food gets down in the carpet. And sometimes a vacuum cleaner don't even, like, want to get it out. And you have to get down there and pick the food out of the carpet. And what I was thinking about this week is, is sometimes we're like that. We try to live off of the crumbs of past experience. We're down there, man. We are trying to find every little thing that we can possibly find. And see, here's the truth of the matter. We need to be having fresh experiences with God. This elder son, this guy right here, was sitting, he was in, on the farm with the father. He had everything. And this is the cool thing about it. If you look at verse 11, it says in there, it says, so he divided his property between them. It doesn't say he divided his property just to the younger son. 
and kept the other. In those days, what, that, what would happen is sometimes the father would give his inheritance before he actually passed away. He would give one-third to the younger and two-thirds to the older in a situation like this. And it says that he divided among them. And what does it say? It says right here that he came to him and he said, Son, everything I have is yours. It wasn't because he's saying everything I have you can come and get. He's saying, I've already given it to you. He said, listen, he's already burned through the one-third. All he got left is the two-thirds, and it's all yours. Kill your calf and eat it. And see, God's given us so much already, we just refuse to pull up a chair at the table and eat. He's laid out a spiritual buffet for us that is absolutely incredible. We just got to pick up the fork and the knife and go to town. But we'd rather be under the table trying to find something our kids dropped. Trying to find something that somebody else was eating and it just fell off the plate. So you can't live off of what I eat during the week. I can't live off of what you eat during the week. We have got to be feeding ourselves. We've got to get with God and feast on all that he has laid before us. Last thing. The other day, um, I decided I'd take uh, Dake, uh, my seven-year-old. He, he, he broke his bike, or actually I broke his bike. Um, try, I was trying to fix his handlebars, and it didn't go so well. Um, and so his bike was broken. And actually, the day I fixed it, I, I pulled it out, and, and I thought it was kind of funny that the only thing keeping the handlebars in was one little screw. But I didn't realize that the weld had broken at the bottom of the handlebars. And so um, I put it back in, and I put the screw on. And I'm like, here you go, buddy. You know, Dad did it again. Fixed it. He was ready to go. And he's riding off, and I hear, <laughs> and I turned around. He's like, Dad. I was like, what? And he got up, and the handlebars were like this. So that was probably like six or eight months ago. And so I decided I would go and get him a new bicycle. And uh, when, when we got there, I uh, walked into Walmart. Well, I'm like a proud papa, man. I'm like, man, I'm a good dad. If one time in my life I feel like a good father, man, this is awesome. I was like, this is, is going to be great. And so I walk in, and I kind of felt like God a little bit because I walk in, I was like, have your choice, son. <laughs> yeah, just kind of presented it to him. Which one would you like? And I'm all proud, and he looks at it, and he's like, I don't know. I was like, well, well I'm going to get you a bike, man. Okay. It's like, you're seven. You're supposed to love bicycles. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, well, well, which bicycle do you want? He said, um, I don't know. I probably won't ride it much. I was like, and so now I'm deflated. I'm actually starting to get mad because I'm trying to do something special. And he's like, I don't want it. I was like, boy, you better get you a bicycle. And so he's, he's sitting there, and I said, listen, man, he, I'm going to get you a bike. Do you want a bike? I don't know. I mean, you know, if we can go to Mill Creek and ride it, I'll go. But I, so I won't ride it at home. I, mean, I, I was like, all right, well, let's go then. I'll, you know, we'll go buy me something. Come on. <laughs> and, um, and so we started to walk out. He's like, no, no, I think I would like one. And so we went back and got him a bike, and it blew me away because I was like, am I really having to beg a seven-year-old to get a bicycle? And you told me when I was seven, I'm going to get you a bike. I'd be like, praise Jesus, you know? <laughs> Uh, but, but I had to I practically beg him to get a bike. But this is how I feel about the gospel, man. That, that, that we stand up here week after week or, or you have friends who come week after week or maybe you're the one who's taking it to somebody week after week and we present it to them and then they look at it and, and they go, uh, I probably won't use it much, you know? Come on, man. It'll be here if I ever need it. 
Oh, the little genie in the bottle kind of thing? He'll be here if I need him. When I get in trouble, when I get a mess, yeah, he'll be. And, and, and how are we having to beg people to come to a place of repentance of coming back to God when they can be joined to the God of the universe who created everything, who knows you better than anybody else, who has seen all the wrong things you've done in the dark, all the wrong things you've done in your life and says, I still want a relationship with you. And we say, no, I don't get it. I mean, I do it too. I mean, we, we get in places where we're like, I would rather have that. It would have been like, Dave, you know, Dave, I'll get you any one of these bicycles you want. Um, I'd rather go to the, the, get some deodorant or something. You know, it would be like him picking something just totally off. I'd rather have this or I'd rather have that. And God says, listen, I can give you everything right here. Here it is. All you have to do is come to it. It's come back to me. It's come back to, to the relationship that he's offering. See, there's a, in this story with the elder, we always want to pick on the prodigal right? Because I think we identify with him. But I would say this, I think that the big problem for, for a lot of folks, including me, is sometimes we take God for granted. See, the problem was that the elder son had everything that the father, the father had. It, it, was at his, it was right there for him. I see this in marriages all the time. I see in marriages where the problem really isn't that somebody walked away. The problem really isn't that there was an affair. The problem, that is, a, is more of a symptom because what happened was for years, they had been living together like the elder son. And these little things kept coming along and they kept building up. And pretty soon there was no relationship. And I think for us today, there, there's a lot of that that happens in churches in the South. That maybe one time we were on fire for God. Maybe one time we were sold out, we were living for Jesus, and then we get to this place. We get to this spot where uh, you just kind of begin to exist. Kind of begin to put a few other things in between you and God. And then we get to a place where there's really no relationship at all. Really no relationship at all. And some of us have walked away just like the prodigal and have an opportunity today, today, to come back. And if you've been sleeping, wake up at this point, this point. Because God today invites you to a relationship with him. God today, through his son, Jesus, has given you the opportunity to turn and come to him. That is good news. That is so much better than a 42-inch high-definition flat-screen television. That is incredible. And that's the opportunity we have. Listen, I want to invite you again. Today at four o'clock, we're baptizing folks. Somehow or another, unless God just comes back, Jesus comes back and we're all raptured, we're going to baptize people. And, and it's an opportunity for some of you. Maybe, maybe you've never been baptized. And today you say, I want to make that public profession of faith. Maybe, maybe you were baptized as a child. You don't remember it. And you say, I want to remember this. I want to do this. I'm not saying you're going to hell if that's the case. I'm saying maybe you want to come today and say, I want to be baptized because I did it as a child. I don't even remember it. Or maybe you were baptized and it just didn't mean anything to you. And today you want to say, man, I want, to, I want this. This is a change in my heart today. Maybe you just did it because everybody else was. 
But today is an opportunity to celebrate the fact that Jesus is Lord and he has died for you, that he took the wrath of God and that he has brought us back to God the Father. It is a time for you to come home. And listen, we, we thought about like doing a song at the end and we were like, well, what song should we do? We could have got up here and played the keyboard. You know how we'll do sometimes where it sounds all kind of like mellow and where everybody's got like their eyes closed and head bowed and, and we're like, if you, you know, da, 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 raise your hand. We do that. We play the guitar sometimes real slow, you know, and thinking maybe, maybe people will make a decision. But today, this is what was on my heart. I say we don't just get into this, this place of looking at repentance as, oh my God, I screwed up. I say we get into a place right now that we look at repentance and we say, thank you, God, for giving me the opportunity to come back to you. We're not going to play some little mellow song to try to convict you of something. We're going to play a song right now. It's called No Reason to Hide. And because what reason do we have to hide from God. Why are we hiding from him? He knows everything anyway. We're going to celebrate today. We're going to blow this thing out. We're going to celebrate. We're about to celebrate the fact that God has given us opportunity to know him. And if you make a decision today that, hey, I want to live for Jesus, come at four o'clock and you make that, that, that public profession of faith. Maybe you've, you've done it before, but you're like, I didn't, it didn't mean anything come and make a public profession of faith. Today can be the day that your life turns around. Will you be perfect from this point on? No, but you can begin to walk in the direction that God has called you to walk and it can change your life. Are y'all ready to celebrate? I'm ready. I'm pumped. This is going to be good stuff. If you will, stand to your feet. We're going to sing this song. If there's something going on with you, you want to come to the altar. The altar is open. You can come and pray. Um, you, can, you, can, you can do whatever you need to do, but you just get with God and you uh, come back to him today.